Can we give our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ a hand of praise? What a mighty God we serve. Oh, come on, let's do a little bit better than that. Can we give Jesus the praise that we know he deserves? What a mighty God we serve. Such a joy to be back here at Cherry Hills and to be back here in Colorado. And I think you guys just won something recently. Uh, so um, <laughs> I'm saying that because uh, the Nuggets won and the... Um, the Pistons never win. And so uh, just so grateful to be back. So thankful for my wife being with me uh, and sharing. But also some good news I want to share with you all. My wife got, my daughter got married uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, next month, uh, we're expecting our first grandchild. Uh, so we act, ask that you all keep us in your prayers. And um, so excited about this series. Uh, when I got the, um, the message to come and to come back to Cherry Hills, uh, and then the fact that you all are in the book of 1 John, I was really thrilled. Uh, I think it's such an important thing to walk through the word of God uh, and to value the scriptures in a high way. And so just so really grateful for this privilege to kick off this series in 1 John. So let's go before the Lord in prayer as we approach the word of God. God, thank you for the worship that's been lifted to your name. Thank you for gathering around the, the table together as family to remember your death, burial, and resurrection. We remember you. And now, God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come to your word of God and to allow it to speak to us. Your words are spirit and they are life. Your words do not return to you void or empty, but they accomplish what you purpose and what you please. Holy Spirit, would you uh, let this written word become God's spoken word to our hearts, that at the end, God, we will give glory to you, not to some person or place, but to you. And it's in the majestic name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. And all that agree with that said, amen and amen. So the book of 1 John, beginning uh, at verse 1, chapter 1, uh, says these words. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make... We write this to make our or your joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all or every sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not, and his word is not in us. In 1977, one of my favorite directors uh, directed a movie, uh, Steven Spielberg, called uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Anybody saw that movie back in the day? Yeah. Uh, and in that movie, he uh, basically uh, was depicting humanity's first encounter with something extraterrestrial or otherworldly. I think everybody is fascinated sometimes with things that are outside of the norm and encounters that seem to be mystifying. 
But you all, no matter how many encounters you have in this life, there's no encounter that will be more incredible and more sustaining throughout eternity than an encounter with Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful that uh, John, as he opens up this uh, 1 John letter, begins to, to describe to us some of the challenges that the church at that time was having. Uh, John, the apostle, is the one who, of course, wrote the Gospel of John, but uh, also the book of Revelation. And unlike the other apostles, who many of them died as martyrs, he, he lived to be an old man. Uh, and he got a chance, because of that uh, time, to see the church in its early days go through lots of challenges and lots of difficulties. And so he began to uh, pen this letter because he noticed some things that were happening in the body of Christ that he felt deserved attention. So there are three issues that he lifts up in uh, 1 John. The first is the zeal of the believers, the excitement that the believers have and the passion that they have about their relationship with him. But also, he wanted to stand firm against false teaching. Uh, there was a, a, a movement going around called Gnosticism, and these Gnostics uh, said that Jesus definitely was in the midst of people, but uh, he was not in the flesh. So they did not believe in an incarnate God. They did not, they kind of believe that flesh is evil and spirit is good, so the two could never be together. So there was this doctrine that was kind of uh, arising in the Christian church that Jesus really was not a flesh person. He was not a human being, and he had to address this. And then finally, he wanted to reassure Christians that they have eternal life. Uh, you all, during this time, people in the church struggle with discouragement. And I'm wondering right now, in this era in this time of the church's history, maybe even at this church, those that are listening in person online, are you struggling with discouragement? Are there things that are happening in your life or maybe in the world around you that have you wondering, where is God? And then in addition, I wonder many of us may have lost some of our zeal. Uh, maybe some of our passion has gotten a little bit low. And we're wondering, why do, why do some people seem to be so excited about God when I don't seem to be that excited at all? And some, some of others of us deal with the fact that we wonder whether or not, am I saved? Do I have eternal life? And so the same issues that John lifted up in this epistle and in, these, in this letter are some of the same issues that you and I deal with today. But I just want to kind of focus on three particular points that, that come from the text. I want to talk about encountering God, encountering God, encountering the word, and then encountering our responsibility. So just three things, encountering God, encountering the word, and encountering our responsibility. So let's look at verse one. It says, that which was from the beginning. Now, of course, he, uh, in John's wonderful way of communicating in all of his writings, you kind of see this theme. He'll say some things, but not always tell you exactly what he's talking about, kind of like letting you figure out what it is. So he's getting ready to talk about Christ, but he's saying that which was from the beginning, uh, which means that Jesus, who is from the beginning, did not begin with the beginning. In other words, God does not have a beginning. You all, when I was a, a kid in, in, in children's church uh, growing up, uh, this is the question I always ask is, uh, where did God come from? And my Sunday school teacher would tell me, oh, he didn't come from anywhere. He was always here. And I said, exactly. So where did he come from before he got there? The bottom line, you all, is that my finite mind as a child, and listen, even, even as an adult, it's hard for you and I to wrap our, as beings that are trapped in time, it is hard for us to articulate, let alone understand eternity. 
The idea of eternity past and eternity future, even those words seem to be oxymorons, like eternity past. Like how can you affix time to something eternal? But you all, before there were heavens, before there was earth, before there was angels, before there was any created thing, God was. There was no beginning with him. There is, because if there's a beginning, there is possibly an end. And so the fact that God was in the beginning means that we can trust what he's going to say. We can rely on him because he's not bound by time as you and I. So he says, that which was from the beginning, but then he goes on to say, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. So he says, this intangible God, this faraway God that is uh, in eternity has now manifested or made himself revealed to us. Many of you all will know that during the holidays we talk about Emmanuel, God what? With us. That God is no longer far away. God is no longer uh, unreachable, but he's now wrapped himself in flesh and walked among us. And what John is saying is what I'm getting ready to communicate with you all in this letter is not something that I heard someone else say. It's not hearsay, it's not something I read somewhere, but listen, I, I had a chance to experience him myself. He says, I've heard, I've seen with my own eyes, I've looked at, and I, my hands have touched. He says, I have handled God myself in Christ. I have touched him myself. I've heard him speak myself. And so what I'm getting ready to communicate with you is firsthand knowledge of what Jesus shared. You all, I just encourage those of us that are uh, seeking God or those of us that are in relationship with God, listen, to not try to have a relationship with God vicariously through someone else. Some people, in, some people experience God through the worship team, experience God through a preacher or a pastor, or experience God through maybe some other Christian that we think uh, knows more or is closer to God. God wants you to handle him. God wants you to touch him. God wants you to hear him. God wants you to have a personal encounter with him. And so John is saying, listen, when I'm getting ready to share with you all the message that I'm getting ready to communicate, is not what I heard someone else talk about, but it is indeed what I have heard and experienced myself. He says, this is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. When he describes Jesus, he describes him the same way that he did in the gospel. And the gospel says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then it says later, and the word became flesh and it dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father. And so the joy of this text is that we are now getting a chance, listen, to experience the intangible in a tangible way. Experience God in a near and close encounter type way. And I'm so grateful that God is not far off. I'm so grateful that I don't have to run through all kind of hoops to reach to him and he's uh, making it difficult to get to him. Uh, how many of y'all ever had somebody uh, back in the day when you're trying to date somebody and they were playing hard to get? All right, okay, all right. Some of y'all are just like, ah. Uh. All right, back, listen, wouldn't it be horrible if God was playing hard to get? Find me, but I'm gonna hide from you. Seek me, but I'm not gonna let you find me. No, he says, seek me and you will find me. Knock on the door and I will open it. He says, I'm not far away. And he says in this particular text, I'm now, John says, getting ready to share with you what I've experienced and concerning the word that is life. Indeed, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now listen, if Jesus equates himself with the word, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Wouldn't it make sense then if he and the word are one, that the word is the truth and the life? 
So if we want to find life, we need to find the word of God. And I believe that there's, a, there's an attack right now on the word of God. I believe there are people that are forming theologies and forming ideas that are made in their own image. They're making God in their own image and their own likeness to accommodate them. So if I read a particular version of the Bible that I don't like, I'll just omit it. And I'll say, well, that's not what God meant because that is dealing with something that I don't think, I don't think it's that. I'm a blogger and I'm an a, a, a influencer. And therefore, I think that my view and my opinion is more than what the word of God says. Now, listen, you may call me old-fashioned if you want to, but I need to believe that there's a true north somewhere. I need to believe that when I get in my car and I put on my GPS, I need to believe that there's such a thing called north. And when there is an absence of truth, and when there's, an, when there's an absence of believing that there's something greater than just what we feel and think, then we're left to our own devices. And I'm so grateful that he said that this word that he's getting ready to communicate is, listen, it's words of life. Sometimes when we read the Bible, it seems like those words are not always good to us, right? Turn the other cheek. If somebody asks you for something, take off and give them more. That, that's counterintuitive, isn't it? But you know what? It may not always be good to us, but it's always good for us. My mom, uh, she's in heaven now. I never understood why, I'm, in from, I'm from Chicago, from the hood, and uh, we had a thing called street lights that would pop on, and my mother would say, I need you in this house before the lights burn bright. So that means you know, street lights had a little, about a, about a 10 second window <laughs> before the Chicago street as they came on, went to full force. So literally, I mean, you ought to see, you, you would have thought I was an all-American all-star because when the lights would start flickering, I am jumping over who, I'm running up the stairs, uh, and I never understood, Mama, why can't I be outside like everybody else? She said, because I said so. I said, but why? Don't ask me why, because I said so. Now, down the road, I found that many of the kids that were outside never graduated, never went on to college. Some of them ended up being in gangs. Some of them ended up getting caught up in drugs. So my mother's words to me at that point were not good to me, but it was good for me. And sometimes the word of God can seem abrasive. Sometimes the word of God can seem a bit negative and a bit tough to handle. But God's words are life. And he says that we now get a chance to communicate to you this word of life. So encountering God means encountering not just God in some far off way, but encountering God as revealed in his son Jesus and encountering God as revealed through the word of God. So notice what he says uh, in the next verse. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Once again, he underscores the fact that this intangible God, this God that's invisible, this God that we cannot see and that we cannot handle because he's, he's spirit, he appeared to us, he's real. So in that one moment, he blows away the Gnostics kind of ideology or the Gnostic theology that God could not be in flesh. He says, no, we saw him. And as we watched him, we watched God in the flesh. We saw God loving through the hands of Jesus. We saw God intentionally walking in certain places 
because that was God in Jesus showing up in society. It says we've seen him, we've handled him, and therefore now we proclaim to you this eternal life. Look at verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Watch this now. What's the end? So that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. He says, if then what we're getting ready to communicate with you is not something that you guys get, it will cause us to not be able to have fellowship. Now, you all, he's not talking about ancillary things or things that are not uh, central to the, to, the, to the message of Christianity. He's getting ready to talk about something so essential and so cornerstone that he says, if we don't align on this, we really can't have fellowship with each other. He says, so I'm getting ready to communicate with you something that Jesus taught us that you need to really grab hold of. Because if you don't grab hold of it, it could be the thing that breaks up our fellowship. And you all remember the, the, the prayer of Jesus. He prayed that we would be one, even the same way that he and the Father are one. He says, I pray that the body of Christ would be unified. On this 4th of July weekend, I mean, I've never seen people more divided. And not just in America or in the world, but in the church, in your row. There are people that are so divided that they cannot have conversation. So divided that we cannot civilly connect together about things. And Jesus does not desire for that to be the case. And John says, I wanna communicate something with you because if you don't get a hold of this, we will not be able to have fellowship. And you all, I think it's so critical that the body of Christ have godly fellowship. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your pedigree. I don't care where you graduated from, what your ethnicity is. I believe it is the will of God that we, his body, would be one. And we need to fight with everything that we have to preserve the unity of the faith that Jesus died and rose for us to have. We need to fight for it in Jesus' name. Amen? And so he says, I want you to know that what I'm getting ready to proclaim to you the end result is that you would have fellowship with us. It's not meant to divide us, but it's meant to underscore why we indeed uh, would have fellowship. So now let's look at what he says about the word of God. Look at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him. Listen, you know what I keep saying? That this is the message. This is the message. What is the message, John? All right, thank you. Here it is. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. Here it is. God is light. And in him... There is no darkness at all. This was an important, it seems very simple, but it kind of aligns with, with the language of John in the Gospels. You'll see John often in John's Gospel talking about Jesus is the light of the world or I am the light at the entrance of the word uh, light comes. Uh, so you'll see this theme of light and darkness in a lot of John's writings. But in this particular text, he says, this is the message that if I were to figure out how to sum up all of the things I heard Jesus teach, if I had to figure out how do I summarize or, or kind of capsulate the most important teachings of Christ, although there are lots of them, this is one that I think is most essential to preserve the fellowship and the unity of faith. He says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. You say, well, that's self-explanatory. That makes sense, but, but does it? Watch this. There are many people who have a hard time believing that God is good and that God is light. If God is light, why is there so much darkness in the world? If God is so good, 
then why would he allow evil in the world? Why would he allow death and murder and uh, trafficking and all these horrible things? I heard you guys had a tornado uh, last week. Uh, if God is so good, why did he let the tornado happen like at the church? I mean, we, we love you here. I'm not saying it's happened anywhere else, but <clears throat> couldn't you went down the street to where the bad people live? Uh, why, why, why would God allow tornadoes or floods or natural disasters? Why, why would there be so much evil in the world if God is like? He had to really explain this because many of us today struggle with that view of God. How can God be good when so much evil has happened to you personally? Listen, when God created everything that exists, he created it sinless. He created it perfectly. No evil, no fallen nature, no, no. Listen, when God created the heavens and the earth, it was not created with flaw. It was not created with darkness inside of it. It was created holy, pure, and perfect. Now hear this. He created mankind in his own image and likeness and did something with us that was quite different than any other Christian. He gave us free will and free choice. And God said to, you know the story, God said to Adam, listen, out of this garden that I've given you, this huge, expansive garden, you can go anywhere you want to go. You can eat of any tree. As a matter of fact, the tree of life, the tree of healing. There's a lot of trees that you can eat of the fruit of, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat of that tree. Because the day that you eat of that tree, Adam, you will die. Well, guess where Adam decided to hang out for the rest of his time in the garden? He was just finding himself close to that tree all the time. In the deep, when God says, don't do something. Uh, listen, I was the person, by the way, uh, in school when they said, uh, don't pull the fire alarm. I was that guy. <laughs> I, and then they have a little ink that came on my hand, and I was trying to hide the ink. Anyway, bottom line, I was like Adam, sin nature, by the tree, just hanging out. Satan comes, speaks to Eve, and says, why would God keep something from you? What is he hiding from you? If he's so good, then why is he denying you stuff? If you eat of this thing, nothing's going to happen to you. You'll be like him, and he doesn't want you to be like him. She eats of the tree, uh, the, eats of the fruit, gives it to Adam. The moment that he partakes of the fruit, the Bible says at that moment, at that moment, listen, not only did, did he and Eve get plummeted into sin, all of humanity, the entire world, darkness. That was not God's doing. It was man's doing. We need to stop blaming God for things that man has done. And so he wanted to drive this point home. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. And you all, this is so important because if God indeed is light, then he has called us to also be representatives of him. That's why he said, you and I are the light of the world. And if we do not then do what he called us to do, we allow darkness to reign and to rule when he never intended it to. Y'all mind turning the lights off for me on the stage if y'all if could? I mean, if, yeah. <clears throat> so as the lights go down, it's harder to see me because it's dark and I'm dark. <laughs> Y'all can laugh. <laughs> Should I laugh? That was a racial joke. These are very tense times. Can we laugh at racial jokes? Yeah, you can. All right. So anyway, all right. So, so here it is. So it's dark on the stage, and darkness is present because light left. And it doesn't matter how much I talk about light. Uh, light is shining. Well, it's not shining, Harvey, because it's dark. 
And you don't have to tell us about light's presence because the presence of darkness is the indication of light's absence. Turn the lights back on for a minute. Well, not for the rest of the sermon, actually. Turn it back. <laughs> All right. So notice what happened. The lights came on. What happened? The darkness did what? It left. Darkness and light didn't have to have a conference where darkness says, excuse me, you know, we've been here for a while, and the fact that you just showed up doesn't mean we're just going to stop. Uh, we need to come into some negotiations about how much darkness will remain. No, the moment that light showed up, darkness had to leave. When the world around us is dark, it is waiting for those of us that are light bearers to show up and be the light of the world and make darkness back up where it's supposed to. Amen. And listen, let your little light shine. You may not know no other song, but you can you know, let your light. You ain't got to have a searchlight. You ain't got to have a whole big old uh, lighthouse light. A little light in pitch black darkness is everything. And what is, what is God saying to us about letting the light that God is in Christ show up through us in the world around us? Uh, earlier today at, uh, at our church, uh, a young lady by the name of Shanfania, who's on our leadership team, uh, we asked her to just come and share some testimonies about her ministry that she's been doing for the past two years at our church called Deep Waters. And every Thursday, she and an amazing group of women uh, gather belongings, uh, toiletries and lotions and just uh, Bible, small Bibles and gifts, and they take it to some women that most people have forgotten because these women are in, in darkness's grip. They, they go to every strip club in Detroit and take good news to the women who are in the strip clubs. Now, some of y'all, when you heard strip clubs, you're like, oh, Pastor, you mean to tell me that you're sending the women of the church into the strip club? Oh, there's so much darkness there. Duh. Why would we keep sending light to where light already is? We got to send light to where darkness is. And let me tell you the testimony of these women. These women say that we have never had gifts given to us without there having to be some kind of an exchange. We're always transactions to people. We've never had unconditional love. And we've seen women saved. We've seen women born again because we've decided to take light to where the darkness is is shouted from the mountains shouted in the streets the song says Jesus's light can reach anybody anywhere and maybe God has brought darkness to you maybe you're wondering why your child is so wayward now why your grandkids are so wayward maybe your neighbors maybe your co-workers and you're saying well I don't know if I can find some place to go to take the light of God God says well you don't have to go anywhere they're in your house you don't have to go anywhere. They're next door. You don't have to go anywhere. They're, they're, they're in the next cubicle to you. So for some of us, God has reminded us that this idea of light and darkness is not some concept that's far off and away, but it's a real one. And the implications is that in him, there is no darkness at all. God is light. And you all, I just need to be reminded sometimes in my own life that no matter what adversities are happening to me, no matter what challenges I see around me, that that does not change the nature of God. 
that even though there may be darkness and the darkness seems to be increasing and getting even more and more pronounced, that does not mean that God is not still the light. And you all, in Jesus' name, we need to be reminded of that in moments that we get, like the early church were, discouraged. So not only does he remind us that God is light, but I love this, this next verse, uh, verse 6. He says, now watch this. If we claim to have fellowship with him, with Jesus, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If, verse uh, verse. Well, let me just stop there. So let me just say this, because I think that if we're not careful, if we're not really, really, really mindful, we'll get confused by this verse. Because we'll think that, wait a minute, if I don't walk in the light or if I walk in darkness, then, then maybe I'm not saved. Look what it says. Uh, if we claim to have fellowship with him, okay, I'm a Christian. I have fellowship with Jesus, I believe. And yet walk in darkness, we lie. And do not live out the truth. So if, if you're like me reading this, I would say, wait a minute. There have been times that I, I think I've done some dark things. There have been times I've missed it. As a matter of fact, I know I have. And, and wait a minute. It says if I walk in places of darkness, I have no fellowship with him. Is that what it means? No. It doesn't mean that your sin is walking in darkness. What it means is this. Walking in, in, in a lack of understanding about acknowledging your sin nature and what it takes for you to become the righteous, that's what walking in darkness is. Those who do not acknowledge that we cannot handle our own sin and we need a savior to handle it, those who think we can handle our own sin and still walk in God's presence, he says those people are lying and they have no fellowship with him. Uh, there's a scripture where God uh, uh, reminds people who feel like they really got it together. He says, uh, all of your righteousness is nothing but filthy rags before me. How many, have you ever had a day that you felt like this was a really good day with you and your spiritual walk? I didn't curse anybody out. I got, I got cut off in, 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 in driving and I didn't, I didn't flip the finger. Uh, my kids, you know, uh, they're demon seeds, but I know I love them. And, and I was nice to them, and I was nice to my spouse. This was a good day. Okay, God. God says, okay, on that day that you checked all the boxes that you were so good, filthy rag. <laughs> then listen, we cannot come to a holy, pure, perfect God with all of our sin nature and think that we will be accepted by him. Um, there's a commercial. Uh, it's, I think it was a Clorox commercial. Uh, when the... Uh, people were sitting in the audience watching the little kids in the choir. Uh, and um, all the kids had uh, off-white robes. And they said, which one is yours? And said, mine's the one with the white robe. So the bottom line, every, because you think that your robe is white until you get next to, like, real white. I never knew this until I got married, that all the variations of white, cream and off-white and taupe. You know, I just didn't, I just, I just didn't know. That. Just, bottom line... When you don't know what purity is, you will think that your righteousness can be equal with the purity of God. And he says that is not the case. God is holy and God is perfect and God is pure. And all of our goodness and all of our righteousness and all of our actions that we think are pleasing to God, it can never earn us eternity with God. Why? 
because the wages of sin is death. So when he's talking about this concept or this idea of walking in darkness, he's not talking about missing it because throughout the whole book of 1 John, he's addressing the fact that we sin and that all of us fall short. Paul said it. He said, the good that I wish I would do, I don't do. And the stuff I don't like to do, I do. What wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this constant struggle? So how many of you all know that you miss it sometimes? Anybody sin in the room? Anybody sin? Okay, the ones that didn't raise your hand, you just did, so you just started. <laughs> all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the joy is he gives us the answer that is the good news in this. He says uh, in the next verse, I love this, verse, uh, verse 6. He says, if we claim that fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us of all sin. He says, if we walk in the light, which is the truth, that I am fallen, I am sinful by nature, and I need a savior to wash me in his blood. He says, those who will acknowledge that truth, the blood of Jesus cleanses us. Those who acknowledge I'm lost will find a savior. But those who don't need a savior because you're good will end up being in darkness. He says, indeed, that is the way that we can find the blood of Jesus purifying us from all sin. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Let me just say this. If you feel as though you're without sin, according to the Bible, you deceive yourselves, and the truth is not in you. If you feel like, hey, you know what, I'm good. And I just want to add Jesus to my goodness. I'm good. And I want to add God to my goodness. Jesus is my co-pilot. I hate that bumper sticker. Because if Jesus is on the plane, I am nowhere in the cockpit. Jesus, take over. I'm in the back eating some peanuts and getting my little pop that they give me. The bottom line is this, you all. Jesus is not an add-on. Jesus is there to wash the stain of sin that every one of us has away and make us approachable to God by his shed blood, which has now redeemed us from death, hell, and the grave and judgment. Amen. Well, preacher, in the two minutes and 30 seconds you got left, bring it home. Verse 9. This is now encountering our responsibility. It's up to us. If we confess our sins. Notice the, the condition. If we first of all acknowledge that we have them and then admit this is wrong. This is not in alignment with you. And listen, how do you know what is sin unless God's word reveals it to you that it's sin? That is why there's an attack on the Bible, because if there's an attack on the revealed word of God, there's an attack on the very nature of what is sin and what is not. Wow. If there is no true truth, then I walk in my own truth. And if I walk in my own truth, 
You might call it sin, and I might not call it sin. He says, if we confess our sins. And I'm wondering today, how many of you are willing to acknowledge you're a sinner? For those of you that are Christians, you already have done this. You've already acknowledged that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. But there's some of you that have not crossed the line of faith yet and you're still investigating, you're still searching, and that's good. But here's the question. Are you willing to admit, I don't get it right. I know that the things that I think and things that I do that are not in alignment with God, I know that. And I need a savior. He says, if we're willing to engage ourselves in the act of confessing and not just kind of lip service, but acknowledging this is not right, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and not just forgive us, but purify us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You all, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus came and wrapped himself in flesh. He was with God before the world began. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived a child, a holy child. And as he wrapped himself in flesh, the Bible says he dwelt among us, he walked among us, he talked, he, he ate with us, he lived with us, revealed to us what it would look like for a human being to honor God 24-7. He who knew no sin knew the reason that he came was to get to the cross. The Bible says in the Garden of Gethsemane, he began to, to be in agony and, and wrestle with God, not because of the cross itself, but because of what he knew was getting ready to happen. He who knew no sin, the only one that could be a lamb without blemish, was getting ready to take on the sins of the world. And since he is God in limitless capacity, he was able to take on not just the sins of those in the time, space, and time stamp that he lived, but he was also able to reach back into time and grab those who would look towards the cross and then reach up towards those of us who would look back at the cross and say, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, I who knew no sin, I will become sin. And he says, I know that when that happens, you who are holy, you who are righteous, you cannot fellowship with me. You cannot be intimate with me. You will turn away from me. And indeed, that's what happened on the cross when he received all of your sins and mine. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that we would never have to be forsaken. He was judged so that we would not have to be judged. He died and was taken into this place that we would never have to go. And so he who knew no sin, he who knew no wrong, became it for us. And we who knew no righteousness, because of his sacrifice, he gave to us what we could not have as he took what we so rightfully deserved. And he says, if you're willing to confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Child of God, I know you miss it, I miss it. I know we mess up, we all do. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm so grateful that my mess ups do not define me.
I'm so grateful that my sins do not define me, that I am now a child of God in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When he looks at you, he doesn't look at your faults. He looks at the blood of Jesus that covers you, and it says, accept it and receive my son and my daughter. And I don't know about you, but that's enough to give God some praise about that I am forgiven and I am accepted because of Jesus. He says one last thing, and then I'm, I'm going to pray for us. He ends with, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So for the person who's here and says, well, you know, I heard all of that, but you know what? I'm not a sinner. I haven't sinned. When you say that, you don't need a Savior. And if you don't need a Savior, you don't have a pathway to the holiness of God. And so if you're listening right now online and in person, maybe you're visiting, maybe you're here, and you say, you know, I don't understand this Christian thing. I don't understand it. It's complicated sometimes. But what's simple is this. I know I've sinned. I know Jesus loves me. And I know that he's able to forgive me. So I'm going to cross the line of faith, and I'm going to just simply say, Jesus, save me. That simple prayer, that simple prayer changes everything. And so I don't know where you are in your journey. I don't know what's happened and what's happening. But I admonish you on this Independence Day weekend that you would get true independence that would last beyond time into eternity. That you would accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And for the rest of us, I don't know about you, I'm one of those people, that's why I'm wearing red, white, and blue. I mean, we got some problems, but I love my doggone country. I just love this country. Amen. I just do. For those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, every day is our Independence Day because you've been set free from the sin grip that would judge you to hell. And now you've got the power of God to help you live a godly life, but most importantly, be accepted in eternity with Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these, your people. Thank you for this church. Thank you, Lord God, for this pastor and for this commitment to the Word of God. Holy Spirit, would you continue to remind us that you are the light of the world and that you've called us to be lights in this world? Would you remind us, oh God, of our responsibility to acknowledge that we're sinners and we need a Savior? And so for those who are in this place who have done that today, thank you for the prayer that they just prayed, Jesus, save me. And God, I thank you that this church is ready to come alongside of them and to walk with them in this decision. And for the rest of us, God, who love you, help us, God, now look for where the darkness is and take the light of you into a world that needs it so much. Help us, God, to now live out this close encounter so that others can encounter you just as closely as we did. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give the Lord praise? Oh, can we give the Lord Jesus praise? Hallelujah. Hallelujah.